Need your Minnesota United soccer fix? We've got it for you here. It's Loon Talk on Score North. Welcome in, Loons fans, for another week of Loon Talk. This time, Sands a Loons game, but we have a special guest alongside myself. I have Dan Terra, our normal co-host, and then Callum Williams. Dan, how are you doing today, sir? Excellent. Couldn't be better. Good, good. Callum Williams of Minnesota United fame, the TV broadcast side. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm very, very excited to be amongst such sensational company, the radio fame of Minnesota United. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking I'm around. Who's he, who's he talking about? He's talking about me. Oh, it must have been you. No. <laughs> I see. We're gonna start we're gonna start that way, are we? Okay. We're the side that doesn't get seen because for obvious reasons. Well, I don't know, guys. I I've had a face for radio for years and yet they still put me on TV. I don't get it. <laughs> Uh, Kendra balances that thing off for you. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got plenty to discuss today. Despite no loons game, we have U.S. men's national team playing in. Oh boy, do we have plenty to talk about there. But first, let's get the housekeeping out of the way. You are obviously listening to Loon Talk, uh, the most unofficially official Minnesota United podcast since Dan and I are employed by the team for the radio broadcast, but we're not employed full-time like Callum Williams is. So we can... Talk whatever we want when we're on this when we're on this feed here. Uh, you are listening to Loon Talk. Give us a rating, a review, and a subscription on whatever podcast service of your choice. We also do broadcast these over on Score North's YouTube channel, so do go give us a view over there. It does help us get found. Let's jump right into this, boys. The U.S. Men's National Team Week in Review, and we've got plenty to discuss. Let's start off in chronological order. It was two draws for the U.S. in their first two World Cup qualifying games in four years, and I was really looking forward to it, and I was excited. I couldn't wait for a 9 o'clock kickoff down in El Salvador on Paramount+, Plus, and boy, the excitement went out really quickly after that nil-nil draw, and there was a lot of talk going into it that a draw was okay on the road in CONCACAF just because that's how these things play out. But part of me is okay with that thinking, but then I also get to the thinking of if this team wants to be regarded as the best team in CONCACAF, should we really be thinking at that? Does Mexico really go into away games thinking, oh, let's just get a draw on down in El Salvador and in Honduras and Jamaica? No, they go for the wins. Why would Why shouldn't the U.S. go for the wins? Why shouldn't it be expected that they go for the wins? France doesn't go to Finland and expect to get a draw just because it's tough in the Euro qualifying. They go in expecting to win because they're the best team in the world. And if you, you are, want to be you, you the best team in the world, Take a breath, shouldn't buddy, you expect worried, to win? I'm a, little, I'm a little worried about your blood pressure right now. Settle <sighs> down. Just, just fed up with some of the I'm talk a, around this team so far. I'm fed up too, but for a different reason. I hate ties. I hate draws. <laughs> I'm so sick of Fair them. Fair enough. Even though they're a huge part of uh, of soccer internationally and here, I'm just. Be- I guess it's because I'm one of those stupid Americans where we uh, decide we have a winner after almost every game. Um, but I guess I'm to 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 draw. Yeah, drawing on the road, if you want to look at it that way, is good. But I can't. I can't. I can't talk about that first draw without me right away going to the second one yeah you know what i mean i I can't you're trying to separate this i know and go game one game two i can't do that because every time i think about game one my mind goes right to game two so i'm just gonna (laughs) sit out until wait you guys get to game two so Uh, yeah i mean look where where do we even start with this i mean 
Um, what I will say, uh, Mr. Harrison, is that is probably your version of the irritations uh, and what you've just said in terms of expectation mm-hmm. for the national team is perhaps the most sensible and logical way to think about it. You're right. If this team wants to be viewed as the best team in CONCACAF, um, then perhaps there needs to be a shift in mindset. Um, because you're right, Mexico don't go down to El Salvador and play for the tie. Not necessarily saying the U.S. played for the tie, but they don't settle for the tie. Right. Um, and France don't go to Finland or Switzerland or Republic of Ireland and settle for a draw either. They've, rather ironically, got themselves three draws recently. This <laughs> yes, fair enough. In the but um, that, that's not the, the mindset, though. They want to go and win because they are champions um, of the world, France are. The United States are champions of the region. Let's start thinking like champions, you know. that I'm, I'm obviously not American, guys, but to my knowledge, that's how Americans think, is we're the best, like we're the champions. Let's be the right. best, let's be the champions. And right now, I just don't get that feeling from the U.S. men's national team. It's, it's very easy to be negative right now after the, the, the two results um, that many people will view as negative results. <laughs> All it'll take will be a win in, in Honduras on Wednesday evening, and, and everything will be forgotten, <laughs> for sure. But I think um, here's what I will say about it before we go into the specifics. It's two games out of 14. There's 12 games remaining, so there is still time. The question right. is, how much time do you give it? Because after these first two games, the results have not helped the anxiety that already surrounded this national team coming into this campaign, given how the last qualifying campaign ended. Exactly. That's that's kind of where I'm at, is that we most American fans went in with high anxiety already just because they failed to qualify for the last World Cup, and there was that expected pressure to qualify for this one, considering how this summer went and how the last couple of years have gone. There's been this steady build up to this, and it's been, the last four years and the last three years under Greg Berhalter have been building up to this, and the first thing they do, the first two games they do, they have in World Cup qualifying, they came out and it's duds, and it's just two draws, and we'll get to the Canada one here now, because there's not really much to talk about in that El Salvador one that we can't really discuss as well in the Canada one. Um, It was a 1-1 draw against Canada, incredibly disappointing result and performance, because you expect, if we're going to go with the logic that we went into the first one, you hope for draws on the road and then you expect to win on the at home. Well, you expected to win against Canada and yeah, sure. They were probably either the second, third or first best team in CONCACAF. However you want to look at it, they're up there with one of the toughest teams in this, this region. You should, no matter who it is, expect to win. And you only were able to get a one, one draw out of this one. We'll get to more specifics later, but your thoughts, your guys' thoughts starting you with you, Dan on the one, one draw against Canada. Well, you know what I've always talked to you about is, you know, uh, how bad is a draw? I said, let's wait and see what they do the next time out. Um, Mm -hmm. That's always my uh, theory is if you have a draw and everybody's feeling like that was a bad draw, you should have won. If you go out and win the next match, everybody forgets about it. Cal mentioned that too. Now they've they've got two draws in a row. Um, You lose one on the road, then you lose to America's hat. And then uh, you tie America's hat, and then uh, and then now you got to go out and you got to win in Honduras, which isn't going to be easy because Honduras is going to be a tough. I think I saw somewhere, Cal, that they haven't played in their home stadium for a, over a year and a half, and and they haven't given up a goal in their home stadium for since like 2017, something ridiculous like that. So and if you think that's going to be an easy, uh, you know, trip to make, uh, I think you're mistaken. So. 
Yep, um, would agree. Uh, it's never easy to go to Honduras, but uh, as Jonathan Harrison quite rightly said, Dan, there perhaps now needs to be a shift in mentality. The United States, if they want to be this world powerhouse, if they want to be mm -hmm. uh, continuously recognized as the best in the region, then I think you go and you have to go and get three points. But for many different reasons on Wednesday evening, I think for the sanity of the U.S. <laughs> soccer fan base, you've got to go and get three points. Um, but, but also, I think, I think to make a statement and say, yeah, OK, yeah. we obviously weren't great in the first two games. That's on us. Um, but we're here to play. We, we understand we didn't play well the first two games. But, but this third game, we, we really, really need to win. And, and we, we reckon we've got to win. Um, but it, it's just, honestly, I think for me right now, guys, there's a real, more than anything at the moment, and, and there's not too many people saying this right now, I think for the first time in a long time, there's a real lack of identity with the U.S. men's national team. I have no idea. Somebody asked me the other day, what's Greg Berhalter's style? How do the national team play? I don't no know. I just don't know. And, and, and I'm not necessarily saying that's a majorly bad thing because you adapt to certain scenarios. You're going to play very, very differently or you should play very differently away to El Salvador uh, than you do home to Canada. Those are two completely different games and you are going to play differently or you should play differently anyway. Um, but I, th there's, there's never... I can't think of a recent game where there's been any fundamentals where you kind of think to yourself, right, well, that's obviously what the US do. I, I, I can't think of anything. And, and that's a real worry now because Greg yeah. Berhalter has been in this job a long time to establish an identity. And mm -hmm. maybe it's the case of, you know, they are going through a bit of a transitional period where there's a lot of younger players coming in now. We're, we've said goodbye to the likes of, of Clint Dempsey and, and what have you over the course of the last few years. And it is a bit of a transitional period. But Christian Pulisic is, is now a, a Premier League player. Weston McKinney, regardless of his playing or not, is good enough to, to be on the Juventus roster. Um, Tyler Adams is good enough to, to play for Rasenball Leipzig. Um, you, you've got uh, Brendan Aronson just signing for, for Salzburg and doing well and scoring the other day, of course, against Canada. Um, this, this team has got enough about them, where, as you said initially, Johnny, in my opinion, you have to go to places like El Salvador, you have to host teams like Canada, you have to go to places like Honduras, and you have to go for the win. Um, my concern is, is that on Wednesday, will Greg Berhalter... Um, despite everything that's been said on, on this podcast and a myriad of other podcasts, radio shows, TV shows, magazines, what have you, um, I wonder if he still plays for a tie because that's the safe thing to do in CONCACAF. Mm -hmm. And for me, there has to be a mentality change. And yeah. there's, there's, given the current circumstances, given the way that everybody's really thinking about the national team right now, you have to change that now. Things have to change right now. And I'm sure we'll get into the specifics in a bit, Johnny, in terms of positioning and whatnot. But things ultimately, from the big picture, they have to change now. Because the last thing the United States can think of is not qualifying for another yeah. World Cup. Because if you, qualify, if you don't qualify for two World Cups, yeah. then this is another debate for another day, surely. But, but in my opinion, the, the, roots, the root of the problem then... It's already been recognised as perhaps it's deeper than the, than the first team roster and the coaching stuff. Maybe it's upstairs. Maybe there's an issue with the federation. 
But if you don't qualify for a second World Cup in a row, that again is going to come up, as it should do, because if they don't qualify again, there's an issue that is out of the players and coaching staff's control. Um, but now, I think we're all a lot more than we really should be. I think I, I'm with you 100%. I think a lot of this has to do with this transition from some of the staples that have been there for a long time to a, to a, uh, a, a younger team with some new pieces. And I think he's probably trying to figure out how best to use these pieces. And, and you would hope that every match they play, he gets closer and closer figuring out how to use them and uh, use them in the best way. But, you know, maybe, you know, wow, I, if they don't qualify – uh, for a second World Cup, I, I don't see how the I don't see how Berhalter survives. There's no way, you know. Well, Dan, this, the, the, the thing for me here, mate, is that I'm okay with experimental, but mm-hmm. Greg Berhalter's had nearly four years to experiment. Absolutely, he's had, he's had so many friendlies and he's had other tournaments. He's had Nations League. He's had so many other opportunities, and he did experiment. He had Tyler Adams as a right wing back at one stage, tucking into the centre Like he has, he has mm-hmm. experimented. But now that time is over. Now you should have your starting 11. You should have your match day roster and say, right, I can rely on this guy for this. I can rely on this guy if we need that. It doesn't feel as though it, it's, it's completely sorted out from, a, from a, a national team point of view. And it feels as though Greg Berhalter still has so much work to do. And it's worrying because the U.S. shouldn't be in this situation right now. Yeah. I, I still, I still mm-hmm. think there's 12 games to go, right? But as I said earlier on, at what point do you say, right, we, we, we've seen enough now and, and right. we've got to do something, whether that is a coaching change or whether that's something else, I don't know. But right now, as I said earlier on, for me, the big thing is, is that as, as U.S. soccer fans, none of us should be in this position right now. None of us should be this worried. I think this all comes down to, as you mentioned, Cal, the lack of identity. And for the longest time, it seemed like, at least through the through the two thousand the early two thousands, there was an identity with this team. You knew when you went to play the U.S., you were going to face a very well organized, very compact, very uh, a team that would sit back and just beat you on the counterattack because you weren't going to be able to beat them in defense. And then for some reason, after they got rid of Bob Bradley, after the twenty ten World Cup, after the Gold Cup, after that, they for some reason U.S. soccer got it in their mind that right, we've got the talent. Let's try and play like the big boys in the world. Let's try and play like the Frances and the Germanys of the world. Why? You had this identity that worked for you, that got you so far, and for some reason they decided, and it stayed this way for the past 10 years, and I still don't understand it, that they were going to continue trying to play like the rest of the world. You had this identity that worked for you, and everybody knew what kind of game you were going to play. You knew what the players knew what they were going to come into camp and knew how they were going to play. And now... With Jurgen and now with Greg Berhalter, these players have to come in and try and play this very nuanced attacking or this nuanced game style or game plan, and you don't have a whole lot of time to put that in place with national team rosters. You, it should just be as simple as what it used to be, where you were going to play compact soccer. It's not going to be the prettiest, but you're going to get results, and they did get results. They got pretty far for a, for a team that had the talent that they did, and now you think if you have the talent that you have now, especially with... Mm. Uh, with Brooks and Robinson in defense, and you have you can figure out who's going to play fullbacks. If you were playing that kind of soccer now, you'd have one heck of a team because you have the talent up front to play that counterattacking style to beat teams on the counter. And for some reason, we've gotten away from that, and I still don't understand it to this day why they switched away from it because it worked for them for so long. 
Yeah, so you, what, you can only play. Sorry, Dan. You you can only play to the players that you've got on your team. Exactly. We 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 as broadcasters know that having covered the early days of Minnesota United <laughs> in Major League Soccer, you you can only play to the players that you've got. You mm-hmm. can't force it; otherwise, it doesn't work. And and so I agree in the sense of that uh, <clears throat> the U.S. should go to Honduras. The U.S should go to places like Costa Rica. They should go to El Salvador, and they should play the way they want to play, be expansive, play lovely, pressing, entertaining football. But when you go away to a France or a Germany or England or what have you, it's okay. It's okay to be direct. Yeah. It's okay to be defensive-minded. And I don't know if this comes down to insecurity with the national team and U.S. soccer as a whole, perhaps, here, John, but, but it's okay you're not going to be the best at every single game. It's okay. Just understand the situation, address it tactically, and from a formational point of view, right players in the right uh, spaces. It's okay to be direct. It's okay to be defensive-minded, counter-pressing in certain situations. Because at the end of the day, we all know, it doesn't matter, regardless of the sport, it doesn't matter, as long as you win. If you win... You don't talk about the tactics and what, what went right or what went wrong. If you want, it doesn't matter. So right now, I, I think that there's such an issue with the United States men's national team. Why can't they be like the ladies? The ladies are so positive. The, yeah. the, the women's national team are, are unbelievable right now. And, and, I, and I know they didn't win in the Olympics, and that's fine. Because can you imagine? Can you imagine the men going to uh, the World Cup and being disappointed with the equivalent of a bronze medal? I mean, <laughs> just, just <laughs> it's right. mad, isn't it? So, but look. I just, for me, abundance of issues for this for the men's national team right now. Um, it comes down to what I think there are. I'm not saying everybody, but I think there are a lot of people that make decisions that are insecure, and I think they need to get over those insecurities, understand what the national team is, when it's appropriate to go and play really lovely soccer and be confident and in your region and go and play. But it's okay to be direct and, and what, as, I, as I said earlier on, and, and be defensive-minded in the situations. It's, it is literally managing the game and managing your situation. It's not it's soccer 101. Yeah, absolutely. You, you took the words right out of my mouth. You have to play a style that you have the players to execute it. So the, my questions would be, are they playing the right style of play for the players that they have on this roster? And then the other part of it is, do they have confidence in their roster. Because if if USA Soccer, whether that be the executive branch or the coaching staff, if they don't have confidence in this team to go down to Honduras and play for a win, then we've got huge problems and you know we're <laughs> we'll be lucky to qualify for the World Cup if that's the case. If they don't have confidence in this roster to go out and try and get a win in Honduras, well then we don't <laughs> we don't belong in the World Cup because it's not going to turn out well for us. So um and those are things we're going to find out in games matches like the one in Honduras, um, because there's no confidence there, and they're playing the wrong type of uh, attack for the the talent that they have, they aren't going to win. So absolutely, uh, I've got five guys who are should be talking points after those first two matches, and we can get into them here. Uh, I want to start with the guys who saw their stock drop a little bit because we're already on a negative path. Why not continue on that before we get to the positives here? Um, Let's start with uh, Serginho Dest. He's now left the camp because of injury. Uh, he was, I'm going to put it this easily, he was awful in those first two games. He was taken advantage of in El Salvador and uh, 
Alfonso Davies had an easy time of it against him as well. And he just, you could see his fellow defenders along that back line were getting so frustrated, and even the midfielders as well were getting so frustrated and seem annoyed with him by the amount of times Des was getting forward and just forgetting or just lackadaisically tr- tracking back and not doing his defensive duties. His lack of defensive play was awful and it forced uh, Tyler Adams to take himself out of the midfield in the El Salvador game in particular. And you saw how 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 that ruined the team because as soon as Sergio Desk came off in that El Salvador game and Tyler Adams was able to go back into his midfield role where he was just absolutely destroying anything that El Salvador was able to do, you saw that they had been missing that for so much of that game. And had that been there, U.S. probably would have come out with a win in that one. But because Sergio Desk just did not play defense at all in those first two matches, it ruined their chances I think, to get a win in either of those matches. My question for you uh, guys is, was he ever healthy going in? I mean, that's what it looked like. It looked like a guy that wasn't playing at 100%. And if so, you know, you got to get him out of there sooner. That's a good question, Dan. I don't know. Um, Sergio Dest is a, uh, on his day, he's a delightful little footballer. Mm -hmm. And and, um, is technically very good. Um, he's a player that you want on your, your roster. Um, I think such is competition now with the U.S. national team, with the amount of emerging fullbacks. Um, I think perhaps Sergio Dest... Um, I, look, I, I, wonder if he, um, I wonder if he perhaps under, underrated the opponents. I wonder if he kind of thought to himself, I'm playing... You know, professional football with Barcelona week in, week out. Well, not week in, week out, but he's, he's certainly getting games. Yeah. Um, I wonder if he kind of thought to myself, I don't necessarily have to be at 100% here. I don't know. I'm, I don't necessarily want to put words in the player's mouth, but um, there, there was something not quite right, wasn't there, for sure. I, and now, obviously, it, it, it turns out that, that there was a hamstring injury. Um, but it, it, it's, it's irritating, for sure, um, because, again, this is a player that really, when you look at him at club level, where he plays... Um, and even if he wasn't playing for Barcelona, he'd still be a, a top-level player somewhere. Um, you know, you, you want to get the best out of those players. You expect the best out of those players, um, particularly in, in qualifying games like this. That These are the moments where you need the best from your big players. So yeah. I wonder if moving forward, um, do, do we start to perhaps wonder, can, can we count on Serginio Dest? Um, especially with, as I said earlier on, the abundance of, of full-backs that are emerging, you know, I mean... Uh, Reggie Cannon, um, I know mm-hmm. it's not gone particularly well at Boa Vista because of, of certain financial issues, but to my knowledge, he, he was uh, on the verge of a, a deadline day move to Fulham, um, which fell through. Um, you know, and, and I, I think I think there's interest in him from, from elsewhere. I think there was an Italian club that, that quite liked the look of him as well. So, you know, I mean, he's a good player and he's still young as well and, and, and certainly fits the description of modern-day fullback. Let's not forget as well. DeAndre Yedlin, I, I know he wasn't great against Canada when he came on, and for me, it was a major fault for that that Canadian goal. Yeah, um, as was was uh, John Anthony Brooks for sure. But um, yeah, it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you, you would say Serginio Dest, with how comfortable he is on on both feet as well, um, he, he perhaps gives you um, an option to bring another body in, perhaps another midfielder or something in a, on a World Cup or Gold Cup roster or what have you. But um, if you're going to bring him, he's, he's got to be motivated. He's, he's got to be, be playing good football. And um, I, I just wonder again, you know, this is not the first time we've seen this from, from the national team. Not, not just this national team either, by the way. This happens in, in abundance on, on the international stage. 
are players like this just brought in because of the club that they're playing at? Right. You know, I, I wonder what Could be. Yeah. if he's if he's not if he's not um, necessarily at a hundred percent. If he's not playing at a hundred percent. If he's playing for uh, let's just say Saprat, someone like that. Is Greg Berhalter considering him? I don't know. Um, and again, this is all hearsay. I, I don't know any of this, but but it's an interesting thought, Dan, for sure. Yeah, another guy who you kind of mentioned it there. Can you count on Sergio Vest? Can we? Can the U.S. men's national team count on Weston McKinney? More and more has been coming out about what happened to him. Um, ESPN reported earlier today that Weston McKinney was suspended and eventually sent home early for spending a night a night outside of the team's bubble in Nashville, as well as bringing in an unauthorized visitor into the team's bubble and eventually his hotel room. Landon Donovan on, said on Grant Wall's podcast that he knows exactly what happened, and it seems like it's now been reported what's happened um, and is extremely disappointed with him. He said, Weston has a lot of work to do with his teammates and that quote, things are almost beyond repair unquote, which is pretty shocking to, to get to that point with a guy who clearly, if you had him against Canada, it seemed like he probably would have been a game changer with how, how little this team was getting into space in that midfield, how they, how little the midfield for the U S men's national team was finding spaces in between those two, those two low blocks by Canada. And this isn't the first time he's broken COVID protocols. He did it earlier this year with Juventus and they were shopping him because they got irritated with how he spends his off time out of soccer. And it's just, it seems like he likes the benefits of being a soccer star, but doesn't like being accountable to his team. And it's just, it feels like he could have been a useful tool against Canada, but he just got in his own way and got in the U S men's national team's way. And all credit to Greg Berhalter, knowing that you're going to need, uh, you're going to need Weston McKinney and, and you know that this is a serious, uh, break of team protocols. And he sat him down and benched him and then sent him away from camp. So all credit to Greg Berhalter, sending one of the stars away, sending a message to the rest of the team that you don't screw around it take this is a week of your life that you have to follow these things. If you can't do that, then you don't belong here. We, we uh, you see that in every sport. Players like that can be such a cancer within a team, and you, you don't immediately write them off. But when it's repeatedly, uh, yeah. you know, they continue to make the same decisions. Um, he's making bad decisions. He's not a team player. Listen, we talked about the culture of this team, the younger players coming in. Tell you what, first you got to get rid of the players that don't give a crap and make sure that your the guys on your roster want to be there, they're committed to be there, and they want USA soccer to be successful. Um, he wasn't. So, yeah, I'm with you, Jonathan. I think uh, he only had one thing he could do for the sake of the team. Now, whether or not – I don't know if – you know, it's all up to him whether or not he comes – whether or not he's mm-hmm. – you know, has another chance, you know, but – if if the people involved are saying it might be beyond repair, uh, it's pretty serious. So um, he's got. If he wants to get back, it's going to take some uh, some huge uh, commitment on his part. Yeah. It all um, it all ultimately comes down to a distinct lack of discipline, doesn't it? Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's extremely disappointing. Um, you know, the 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 player is only twenty two years of age. I don't care. You you absolutely, yeah. on the eve of playing a massive game for your country in a World Cup qualifier, you do not go out on the town wherever you are. And, and the reports are out there for people that want to go and, and see them. You do not break curfew. You do not go and break the COVID protocols. You do not bring other people back to the hotel and what have you. Um, it's, um, 
it's extremely disappointing. Um, fortunately for Greg Berhalter, that there are a couple of other players that could very easily slot in. I think the fact that, that Kellen Acosta has done so well, yeah. um, I, I think mm-hmm. made the, the decision a little easier for, for Greg Berhalter. Also, the emergence of Christian Roldan over the last couple of years as well. He He's certainly an option. James Sands has been sensational as well for New York City FC. Um, you know, so that there's options for sure, but um, it, it's it's a really difficult one because I've seen people on social media today defending Weston McKinney, saying, oh, he's He's a young boy. Let him go and have fun and all this kind of stuff. Look, <laughs> in, in my opinion, you, you lads know me pretty well. There's nobody who likes going to the pub for a couple of beers more than myself. <laughs> right. For goodness sake, not the day before yeah. right. we have a big game against Canada in a World Cup qualifying game and, and <laughs> during a global pandemic. What are you doing? Right. What right. are you doing? So, you know, look, I think... Um, I think Greg Berhalter made the right call. I think it's a brave call. I think it's the right call, though. Um, and, and, it, and it does. Is that I, I think it, it shows that Berhalter um, will, will, will take... Um, he, he won't take any chances, and he's certainly not going to take any garbage from players that, that make mistakes like that. Um, I, I just hope now that, that Weston McKinney learns from this. Um, this is not the first time he's done something like this, as Jonathan mentioned. Um, I just hope that he learns from something like this, you know. Um, look, I, I wasn't the, the best human being at 22 years of age either, but my goodness, I, don't think any I wasn't of us playing for my national team. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> uh, I just hope he learns from it because he, he is a good player and he's going to be needed, um, you know, for you would argue the next 10 years for the national team because he's a good player. Um, but he's got to really, really be careful because if he continues down this path, um, it, it doesn't look good. Um, and, and he's going to... That, that those players that were suitors for the move that didn't happen for him on deadline day from Juventus, um, you have to wonder if, if, if this continues, will they be suitors anymore? Um, you know, so I, I just, I hope he learns from it. That's the main thing here. Uh, but what a stupid thing to do for such a talented yeah. young man. I know that I was reading some stuff on the internet that apparently Max Allegri his coach at Juventus is already thinking about, or was apparently thinking now that he was basically booted from U.S. men's national team camp for disobeying rules, COVID rules, which he's done before, that he was thinking of punishing him at Juventus as well. And I don't know how, how you can do that at the club level, but absolutely, if you're able to, because just you need to send a message to the kid because there's so much talent there. It's clear that there's talent there. And just, man, it just takes – It's I know it's not fun having to sit inside, but – these are the rules and it's just one week, man. Like you have one week to play for your national team to get them into a good position to qualify for the world cup. And you can't even do that. But you know, let's switch to some positivity here. Uh, the guys who did stand out in these past two games, despite the team overall, not standing out that well. Uh, one of Weston McKinney's midfield partners, Tyler Adams. I thought he was absolutely outstanding in those two games. Key in the midfield in both games, sweeping up counterattacks by both El Salvador and Canada. You saw, as I mentioned earlier, you saw how influential he can be in the midfield. Um, when Dest was taken off, he was free to boss the midfield again, and he just showed exactly why he, A, should be captain, and then B, should be one of the best midfielders in this team, if not uh, even more. Yeah, I thought he was probably the best player in the last yeah. two games. If you throw them together as a whole, um, so he's what you're looking for. He's a guy that you you want to have, you know, whether he's captain or not, I don't care. But, yeah, he's the type of guy that you want to put into a leadership role on this team. And, and, and maybe, you know, you can lead by example and get some of these other younger players to, uh, you know, 
pull their head out of their ass and, and, and realize <laughs> that they've got a golden opportunity. And, you know, you got, it's, it's all about growing up. And we see this in athletes in every sport. Some of them get that wake-up call and they grow up and mm-hmm. they become good people. Sometimes it's that sometimes they never do. You just don't know. Everybody's so different. Um, and sometimes they fight those bad decisions their entire career and it follows them around. So, um, but you need to make sure you've got enough players uh, like Adams on your club. Adams was uh, the sensible player opting to not go out on a night out in Nashville, which we're all <laughs> delighted about. Um, Nashville is a lot of fun, though. I got to yeah. admit that. <laughs> I've heard it's a good night out, but <laughs> you, know, you just don't do it, do you? you? just don't do it when you're representing your country because there's so many players that would love to be in that position. And Tyler Adams is one of those players who has wanted mm-hmm. to play for his country for so long. Um, and, and the stories of him coming through the Red Bulls Academy and what have you and playing in New York and various different youth clubs. And he's always said that was his dream to play for the United States and represent them at the highest level he could. And um, I, I thought he was outstanding, you know, and um, he is uh, one of the more intelligent central midfielders I think the United States have got. Um, I'm really interested to see how he develops this year under Jesse Marsh, um, who he's clearly comfortable playing under. Um, he did it at New York Rebels, and now he'll do it this year at, at, at RB Leipzig. Um, but um, it, for, for me, it is, um, it is quite concerning that there's so much on the shoulders of a 22-year-old. Um, <laughs> a 22-year-old that um, we in the United States still view as, um, we still view as being quite young. Um, and in, in Europe and, and the majority of the rest of the world, that's not necessarily the case. At 22, you, you should have, you know, sort of 50, 60, 70 appearances under your belt um, as a first-team player because you sign a pro contract at 16. You may have a, a loan spell here or there, but then you're, you're in the first team at 1920 if you've got anything about you, and, and clearly Tyler Adams does. Um, but my, my biggest concern is that there's a lot of lot of weight on his shoulders when I don't think there should be this much weight. I'm not necessarily concerned about his age. I'm just concerned that there's a lot of focus on him and there should be a lot of focus elsewhere as well. It seems like he is burdening a lot of, of what's going on at the moment um, in terms of the negative stuff from the national team. Um, he's having to, to cover ground that he shouldn't necessarily have to. He's having to... to to fill in um, when, yeah. when the fullbacks go forward a little too erratically. You know, he's having to provide a late run in, in, in an eight role if it's not coming. You know, there's a bit too much being asked of him at the moment. And I'm sure he'll be comfortable with it. But I, I just wonder, you know, can the rest of the players around him step up? Because I think if you have Tyler Adams in tip-top form with motivated, dedicated players around him, it's only going to be good for the United States. But um, for me right now, my concern is that I think there's a bit too much been asked of Tyler Adams. Yeah, I'm not a fan of how much uh, they've placed on his shoulders, but it does show you how how smart the kid is to be able to grasp all that, that he's able to do, that, that he's able to play multiple positions and basically be, he's not really necessarily at this point, but he in this where he's at right now with this team, he's probably the best coach on the field for this team, a team that desperately needs someone to be a coach on the field that Michael Bradley used to be that person. He used to be able to just tell people where to go and he could see, he could read the game like that. And they don't, this team really doesn't have that because they don't have a whole lot of uh, guys who are old enough and experienced enough to do that. But if you're going to put that burden on anybody, Tyler Adams <clears throat> is probably the best guy to do that. Yeah. He's, um, 
he is uh, at this stage already at 22. He's an experienced European player. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been at Leipzig for several years now, and and has been playing first team football for a while. Uh, scored the goal uh, to send Leipzig um, was it into the the Champions League semi-finals? Was it last year? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so he's got big game experience. So look, I understand that there should be a bit of pressure on his shoulders. There should be a, a bit of. Um, the national team relying on him, but but not to the extent that they are. I think other players need to step up around him, and, and that's, yeah. that's my biggest concern moving forward um, in terms of that area of the field, for sure. Yeah. My other guy that I'm uh, that I have more confidence in after those two games uh, is Matt Turner. Did it, did he do enough for you guys to basically claim the number one goalkeeper spot? for the U.S. men's national team. That's always been Zach Steffen's spot to lose for some reason, despite him not playing a whole lot for Manchester. He plays in the cup games generally for them. Uh, Matt Turner, though, he's the only one of the top three keepers that starts regularly for his team. He's easily the best shot the best shot stopper in the national team pool. His distribution isn't up to Stefan's level, but it's not like he's awful like early 90s goalkeepers were. I mean, he's <laughs> he's still a pretty decent distributor. I mean, but he's easily your best shot stopper, and he keeps out an early Canada chance that probably would would have been the early go-ahead goal for Canada had that had it gone in, had uh, Matt Turner not got his hand on it. But I, that's my question out of this one is, did he do enough in those two games and basically this entire summer to lock down the number one spot in Greg Berhalter's team? I don't know if he's locked down number one, Cal, but I certainly, certainly would start him against Honduras, no questions about it. Um, but whether or not he is locked down number one, I don't know. Probably only Berhalter really knows that, what's going on in his mind. But if he hasn't, uh, he's close to it, and uh, a good performance in Honduras would maybe maybe put him in that situation. I think um, you're right in the, the sense that, yeah, he, he'll start against Honduras um, because, quite frankly, right now, he's the best goalkeeper on the roster. Um, <laughs> He's he's in terms of his form right now. He's he's playing mm-hmm. the best. Um, I I still think Ethan Horvath on his day is is as good, um, if not better. Um, but um, you, you know that Matt Turner is going to play every single day. Whereas at, at Nottingham Forest with with Horvath, um, he, he plays, but but I don't know. It's a, a guarantee that he'll he'll play. You know, as many games mm-hmm. as Matt Turner will. I think in terms of the grand scheme of things, goalkeeping wise, I think Matt Turner may very well. Um, at this stage, I think he may very well have, have walked himself, saved himself, I'm not sure what the real terminology <laughs> is there, um, into, into being the, the number two for Greg Berhalter. Um, let's, let's just hypothetically say that, that the US qualify for the World Cup. I think right now, um, I think Matt Turner goes. And I think mm-hmm. right now, if the World Cup is tomorrow, I think Matt Turner goes as the number two behind Zach Steffen. Do you and think so? Okay. That, yeah, the reason I say that is because I think um, T- Turner's performances um, have spoken for themselves and he's more than deserving of, of the opportunities that he's got. I just think Zach Stefan has probably got a bit more big game experience. Um, and I know, again, that, that Turner played in, in um, you know, big, big games for the United States. I, I know he did so well in, in the Gold Cup and, and what have you. and But, but so did Ethan Holvath in, in the Nations League as mm-hmm. well. And and in the Gold Cup as well, you know. I mean, it, it, so I, I just think, I think Zach Steffen, um, I think he probably sees a bit more on a on a day to day basis. Uh, and, and I'm not, by all means, I'm not um, begrudging or um, being disrespectful to the quality of Major League Soccer here. But 
Um, you guys know I, I love this league more than more than anybody. Um, mm -hmm. But when you're training on a regular basis with the players that Zach Steffen is at Manchester City, yeah, um, you, you're going to get better. You are simply going to get better. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Johnny. That I know he only plays in the cup <clears throat> games and what have you, um, but he has played in some pretty big cup games for Manchester City. He's played in some pretty big games for the United States as well. Uh, I just all, for me, I just think he's the better goalkeeper out of anybody right now. I, I think um, if you're asking me, you know, going into the the opening day of the World Cup for the US, uh, who starts in goal? And 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 for me, it would be Zach Steffen, no questions asked right now. I just I think out of all the the pool of goalkeepers, I I think he is. Um, Absolutely, unequivocally, that the number one, no, no questions asked. You're telling me the front line of Adam Buxa, uh, Gustavo Bowen, Carlos Heel doesn't match up with the front line of <laughs> of Manchester City's Jack Grealish, Kevin De Bruyne, and uh, Gabriel Jesus? Uh, I'm not saying that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the la I, I just, you know, I, I just think it's Zach uh, Steffen's the number one. It's as simple as that. Okay. Steffen's the number right. one. There's a reason why he got the move to Manchester City. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about after these two games, I know it's the favorite topic of the gnome Adrian Heath that I have up behind me if you're watching the video. Substitutions. It's always the topic <clears throat> at hand for Minnesota United fans for some reason. Um, you're tied 1-1 at home against Canada. Your players are wiped out from playing 90 minutes a couple days before, and you know you got another 90 minutes ahead of you coming up on Wednesday just three days later, and you wait to make any substitution beyond the one at halftime for Serginho Dest, who was injured. You wait till the 83rd minute to make a substitution, and you bring on Josh Sargent for some reason, and we could talk about that, but that would be another 40 minutes of talking about Josh Sargent and why he continues to get chances with the U.S. men's national team. But I just don't understand why when you know you have three really tough games in a week, in less than a week, you don't make substitutions earlier in the match. Yeah. Um, it, was, uh, it was a head-scratcher, wasn't it? For sure. Um, at, at the point when Berhalter did make the changes, I thought to myself, you've left this a bit late here. Mm -hmm. um, and... Look, the, the, the players he did bring on as well, they're, they're more than capable players. You know, De La Fuente is, is, is top class. He's playing for Marseille and, and doing well, you know. He's starting regularly for them. Roldan is, is a very good player, we've already said. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he's involved on um, on Wednesday against Honduras. Um, Josh Sargent, I, I think despite, you know, him, him not delivering at the moment, I still think he's a more than capable player. I think he's made the wrong club move, but again, we'll, we'll discuss that another day perhaps. But... Um, <laughs> It's um, it was baffling. It really was because it, it, it seemed to me as though um, the, the the Canadians seemed uh, they seemed far too comfortable. Um, even when they went one nil down, they, they didn't seem to panic. Yeah. It seemed like everything was was okay. Um, and the US, I, I know they had chances, but um, it, it didn't seem as though it was as dominant as it needed to be. And and look, what, what we must say here as well is we must give tremendous uh, tremendous credit to the Canadian Soccer Federation because yeah, they've absolutely. come on leaps and bounds over the last couple of years. And a competitive Canada is only going to make the region stronger. But the United States have got to accept that. And they've got to accept they aren't the Canada of old and they, they need to be better against them. Yeah. The performance uh, this past uh, weekend is not going to be good enough against Canada now. But um, um, 
it was it was a head scratcher, wasn't it? Really, um, I think you know should he should he have brought on a couple of other players earlier on for sure. But uh, again, it, it comes down to the, the the opposite of this is that does he feel as though he has the players on the bench to make a difference? Does he feel as though he has players that can contribute in that particular time? And and if you ask any coach, and, and Adrian Heath will say the same, that, mm-hmm. that sometimes you feel as though the rhythm you've got, actually there's no need to change it, regardless if players are you know, um, struggling for breath, one for better <laughs> words, um, their uh, impact is, is too important to take off the field, and I understand mm-hmm. that situation. Um, the, the biggest issue for me right now, um, and it was evident again against Canada, but certainly at El Salvador, and uh, Jonathan, you and I were texting about this, is the, the, there has never been a bigger need for the United States at centre-forward than there is yeah. now. Um, over the course of, since I've watched US soccer, and we're going back since I moved here nearly 10 years ago now, there's always been a good centre-forward. There's always been a centre-forward that you could say, not necessarily rely on goals, but you could say, right, if he gets two, three chances... The, the U.S. have got a genuine opportunity of scoring a goal. Right now, I'm not sure the U.S. can say that. Um, e- even if even if you bring in Daryl D.K. into the roster, I'm still yeah. not convinced you can say that either. No doubt he gives you a different way of playing, but I- I'm still not convinced you can say that. So, um, right now, because uh, for me, this, this Honduran trip coming up for the U.S., for me, again, PFOC has got to start um, because, again, as we alluded to earlier on, in this situation, um, you as the United States, I think there's a time and place to, to try and play and to, to be the best if you want to be the best in the region. But I think in this situation on Wednesday, go direct, just win. It doesn't matter. Just win. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you play, just win. In a, in a normal circumstance, play how everybody wants you to play and be the best in the region. But in this circumstance, just go and win. And I think Jordan Peacock offers you that option uh, to go direct. And, and let's just say, for example, um, it'll be uh, Gio Reyna. I'm not sure if he's, if he's available on No, he went back. Not, but he went back, did he? Okay, yep. so let's say, for example, it'll be Pulisic, it'll be uh, Aronson, and it'll be De La Fuente, let's just say, yeah. behind Peacock, right? You can go direct, find Peacock, the, the big man. You can find him up front, and you can have him play. You can have the three players behind him playing off of, of the centre-forwards. And you can find different angles. You can open up different avenues. You can Absolutely. play it into the, the other two central midfielders, who I, I would assume it will probably be Acosta and Adams. But um, I think right now that's the biggest issue right now is that there's no outlet for the United States. There's not a regular goal scorer. Not, not even a goal-scoring outlet. There's just no outlet in terms of there's no one pressing. There's no one goal-scoring. There's no one holding the ball up. So essentially right now it's a wasted position up front. Yeah. I don't think um, Josh Sargent's the answer. PFOC is the closest thing to the answer, so it wouldn't surprise me again if he started on Wednesday. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't I wouldn't want to see Josh Sargent, but that's a whole nother topic, a whole nother <laughs> podcast for another day. Cal, I think I've made my feelings to about Josh Sargent clear to you. Um, I can just go <laughs> through the numbers. Before we move on, one quick thing about substitution. It's all hindsight. If <laughs> USA gets a goal late in that match, nobody's talking about substitutions. When when Minnesota yeah, right. when Minnesota scores in stoppage time or in the seventieth minute on a Brett Coleman goal, nobody's talking about substitutions. If Minnesota loses two to two to nil, then people complain about substitutions. So defending coaches here 
if they feel they've got their best chance of win on the on the pitch, yeah. they're going to avoid making substitutions. But again, if you win, nobody's talking about your substitutions. It only happens when you get a bad draw or you lose. So <laughs> right, I feel better. I got uh, that off the chest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will move on from the U.S. men's national team talkers because, in all reality, we are called Loon Talks. We are a Minnesota United podcast. Next up for Minnesota, we didn't have a game to review for them. Uh, We do have a game to preview a little bit. We'll do this quickly because we are already 48 minutes in, and that U.S. men's national team talker went longer than I expected, so we'll have to cut one of the topics for today. But next up, uh, a trip out to Seattle this Saturday. That game is at 4 p.m. kickoff, 3.30 p.m. pre-match show on Score North and on Bally Sports North Plus and the CW's Twin Cities. That's with Callum Williams and Kendra D. St. Aubin. If you want to listen to Dan Terra and myself, we are over on Score North on AM 1500, the Score North mobile app, and live.scorenorth.com. So a tough trip out to Seattle after two weeks off after that that nice win down in Houston. Boys, your thoughts on the upcoming match in Seattle? Go ahead, Cal. Um, cool. Well, like you said, Jonathan, yeah. it's it's a tough place to go. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's never an easy place to go. Um, you know, the only thing I will say is that, look, um, what we would assume is that several of the bodies that Minnesota United have been without over the course of, of the last couple of weeks would be available. Um, I was at training earlier today on, on Tuesday and saw Franco Fragapane moving around quite well. Um, I still don't oh, know he does exist. Who? He does exist. He does was, he in a, um, was he in a wheelchair? <laughs> <laughs> I, but this is the thing. He, you know, he, he, he looked okay. He looked fine. No problem at all. But um, he looked okay a couple of weeks ago. So I don't <laughs> know. I don't have a medical report. I, I don't know if he's available. I, I genuinely have no idea. But um, I, I, I think you... you you would assume, wouldn't you, given the the, um, the amount of time that these players have had to recover, uh, the international break, I know several of them were able to, to get out of town and relax for a little bit, you know, but you, you would absolutely assume that there would be players that would be available. The, the Sounders are such an anomaly because they they were flying at the start of the year. Yeah. They, were, they were unplayable at times. Rui Diaz, such a little pest. And... Um, well, uh, Paolo in the centre of midfield is, uh, you know, someone who, who absolutely controls the flow of the way the Sounders go. The wide players cause issues. Um, this this new formation, well, it's not new anymore, but the formation they've played this year, um, they've adapted so well to it. Brad Smith has, has been great on the right-hand side uh, when he's played. But, but look, I mean, if you think of some of the recent results, right, the Sounders... I've actually played better away from home than they have at home over the course of the last couple of, of weeks. And look, I go back to July 31st, which I know is, is a... Well, actually, let's go back to July 25th, which I know is a fair ways away now, but a 3-1 loss at home to Kansas City, mm-hmm. then a 1-0 loss at home to San Jose. They tied 1-1 at home to Dallas. They went to Portland and thumped them 6-2 before losing... Uh, before winning, sorry, I beg your pardon, uh, away at Dallas losing at home to Columbus, losing at home to Portland. So the home form is not particularly glamorous at the moment. And and I think the Sounders at this point of view, and, and I hope this isn't the curse of the commentator and this is clipped and, and what have you, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say it as it is. Right now, I don't think there has been a, a better opportunity to get all three points at Seattle Sounders than there is this weekend. Now, 
I'm sure there's going to be other players returning. They've had international absences and injuries as well, so I'm sure those players uh, will be back and available, which, which may make things a little more difficult and may solidify them a bit more. But um, no doubt the Sounders are much more fragile at home than they have been for some time. So you have to wonder, given Minnesota United's uh, current run, given the, the players that we're assuming are going to be back, has there ever been a better time to go and win at Seattle Sounders? I, I genuinely don't know. You know, so much depends on who's back. You're right, Cal. I mean, if we can get, you know, two or three of our, you know, very important uh, players back, uh, yeah, I think so. What, what I think, something lately about playing in Seattle, I feel like brings out um, brings out the best in Minnesota. I feel like that's some place that they, instead of going on the road and going, oh, this place is tough, I feel like for some reason when they go to Seattle lately, it's like, you know what? Screw them. We can win here. We can play with these guys. Um, it's just almost like you'd have in a rivalry match. Um, there's just a different feel for, for the way this team has played lately in Seattle. So hopefully they get some bodies back. And, um, you know, I don't know what the latest is on, on Robin. I think he's probably the key right now, the main one. But uh, hopefully he's back and ready to go Saturday. Yeah, I think if you can bring – if you can get – those healthy bodies back for Minnesota and you see the guys that have been off playing international soccer for Seattle, there's, and with, as Cal, you said, with how they've been playing at home, there's definitely a chance for Minnesota to sneak away with all three points. And that'd be a great thing going down the stretch uh, for this Mm -hmm. team. Boys, we will skip the what if segment. We'll bring, we'll bring you all back uh, later on in the season for that. Uh, We went a little bit long, so we'll get straight to Write That Down and our glorious Write That Down segment. If you haven't been following us, uh, Write That Down segment is our segment where we each make three soccer-related predictions. At least one of those predictions has to be a Minnesota United-related prediction. We'll keep track of the correct predictions throughout the year. We'll call them goals, and most goals at the end of the year wins the golden boot. But first, before we get our predictions, we have an accountability session, and this one's a light one this week. Only three things coming off the board, boys, this week i said earlier this year in the transfer market manchester united will sign rafael varan and eduardo camavinga they only signed one of them i'm okay with that i don't they didn't i mean they still do need a defensive midfielder but eduardo camavinga made the move that he wanted to make he didn't clearly want to go manchester united he denied or he it seemed like he was putting off all those vibes that he didn't want to go there so he goes to real madrid instead and i did say the u.s men's national team will win at least two of their next three matches well that's not possible since they drew their first two matches Dan, you did say San Jose will beat Colorado this week or this last weekend because you're still not a believer in Colorado. Well, nope. they get a one nil win on the road at San Jose. So that means our current standings remain the same as last week. Uh, 12 goals for me, 14 goals for you, two goals for the guests, none for the listeners. Each of our correct prediction percentages are down for the last or since last week. So with that being said, it's time for our picks this week. And since we have a guest, the guests always go first. So Cal and Williams, I'll let you start off the predictions this week. Write that down. Cristiano Ronaldo will score two on his Manchester United debut against Newcastle United. At wow. Oh. Wow. Oh, sucking up to the host of the show, aren't you? <laughs> wow. Oh, I cannot uh, wait. two. Holy moly. Wow. Last time you played him, he right. got a hat trick. All right. Mm-hmm. All, All right. right, Dan. Gutsy, gutsy. All right, I have a theme going in this one, and it's called the tie. <laughs> Minnesota and Seattle Saturday will tie. Write that down. 
Write that down. Minnesota, Seattle tie. Tie. Okay. Yep. Well, Dan, write this down. Minnesota gets the win this weekend. And this is part of a parlay. We'll move within two points of fourth place in the Western Conference. That means the LA Galaxy, who play Colorado this weekend, will not win. So Minnesota, who sit currently five points behind the Galaxy, will move within two points. Wow, look at you going against your buddy Chicharito over there. (laughs) Well, he's not been playing I want to go back to the days when you were predicting hat tricks by Chicharito. Those were my favorite times. (laughs) Oh, don't worry. There's hat tricks coming up. I've got hat tricks ready. Oh, okay. Go all right. Oh, dear me. Okay. Um, okay. Um, um, within, where are we? September 7th, before the end of the month, there will be another firing of a head coach in Major League Soccer right back down. Ooh. Okay. Any ideas? You have somebody in mind? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know who's the betting favorite. Would it be Bob Bradley at this point? There's a there's a couple out there. I think that may their seat not necessarily hot, but or Tab Tab Ramos is probably up there. Um, possibly. I mean, uh, I I think things are going quite as well as they expected in Cincinnati. Yeah. Um. So I, I think Chicago, there might be one or two issues as well. Oh, yeah, I never thought of Chicago. Um, yeah. So that, that, that's why I'm quite confident in making that sort of prediction. There's been a number of them this year, All which right. has been kind of surprising. But, yeah, I like that one. Dan? All right. Write that down. USA and Honduras, tie. Write that down. <laughs> Man, you are just sending U.S. men's national or U.S. soccer uh, Twitter into a panic right now. They come out with all <laughs> with just three points after their first three games. Whew, that's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for anybody. Not good Hope for Greg Berhalter, not good for that team, not good for the fans. Hope I'm wrong. Well, I'm going to go with some positivity here, just hoping for Dan to get one wrong and me to get one right. U.S. men's national team will get a win down in Honduras on Wednesday night. Write that down. I'm just going to predict like a hat trick or something? Or like they're going to win I by seven? I still have one more pick. I still have one more pick. <laughs> still have one more. Write right. that down. All right, I like I like when you go before me because then I can always change my picks and, <laughs> and try and counter yours. So, all right, round three, round three, Cal. Okay, okay. Um, okay. Uh, I'm gonna go uh, with the national team because we've still got one more out there, haven't we? So, nope, this is the final do, one. Uh, this is the last one, is it? Okay, yep. so it's got to be Minnesota United then, right? So, um, for me, I'm going to make uh, a prediction here. Uh, towards the end of the season, um, Minnesota United finish in the top four. Right top four. that down. I like it. I think I have them top three, and Dan has top four or within two points of top four. We have those right written down mm-hmm. somewhere. We're all on the same page with that one. Yeah. All right, my third Still pick, staying, staying with my theme, Saturday against Seattle. Al Williams wore a necktie with a certain color in it, and I've sent that color to Jonathan. Okay, I like it. There it is. All right. Just write that down. <laughs> we won't I'm tell calling, you until... I'm calling your tie. It's going to make me nervous now. I'm going to be checking out my tie going, oh, this one. <laughs> I was wondering why you sent that before you... In that text, I'm like, what? Why would you send a random color? That doesn't make sense to me. See, it all does now. 
it all now, makes sense now, now it all comes together. All right. I like that. I like that's a, I like that that kind of style of a pick. That's that's a good pick. All right. Final write that down of the evening in the week. Cal, you earlier said that Cristiano Ronaldo will score at least two goals. I'm going to go a little bit of a parlay here. Cristiano Ronaldo oh, will score boy. a hat trick against Newcastle like he did last time he played them for Manchester United. And all three of those goals will come within 30 minutes of each other. So from oh, the wow. start of the hat trick to the end of the hat trick, it's going to be 30 minutes. What are you What are you smoking down there in New Prague? Everything Manchester United related what right now. Hell? I am just ready to see Ronaldo don the number seven jersey again because the Premier League bent the rules for him just specifically for Cristiano Ronaldo you, so they could break jersey sales records. You understand what the odds are of the, you being correct on this, right? Yeah, I'm well aware. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm within two goals of you. I'm I'm confident of making these picks again. I've caught up. Wow, wow. There's confidence, and there's that. Wow. Yeah, and, and to be fair, Dan, to be fair, Newcastle United are not having a great start to the season right now. They are <laughs> crap. One way of All right. It, yeah. Uh, so we'll see, yeah. All, All right. right. Well, when, we get, when we get done here, I want to talk to your wife. I've got some questions about your behavior lately. So <laughs> just put her on when we're done. I'm worried about you. Well, that kind of vagueness, he could be talking about Cal or I. I'm not sure who he's talking, talking about. I was talking about you. Yeah, I was talking about you. All right, that has been Write That Down for this week. Bold predictions for sure. Uh, boys, it's been good talking to you, and I can't wait for Saturday to uh, broadcast a game again. It's felt like it's been forever since we've been able yeah. to broadcast a game. Looking forward to it. Yep, go Loons. Thanks, Cal. Appreciate you coming in. Yep, cheers, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Adios. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Cal. Thanks, listeners, for tuning in. We will talk to you on Saturday as well as next Monday for Geico presents Daily Affirmations. Repeat after me. We are filled with an abundance of joy. We are filled with an abundance of joy. Also an abundance of questions. Good thing Geico has 24-7 claim service to help answer questions and resolve claims quickly. Uh, good thing Geico has 24-7 claim service. We are also filled with an abundance of biscuits. We are also filled with, uh, I don't think it works this way. Oh, oh, and jam. Don't forget jam. To manifest more Geico in your life, go to geico.com.